pray. Children, you are dismissed to go upstairs. Father, even as we have just sung, so we confess now, oh, how you love us. Even in the first song, as we look to the cross and then to your sustaining love day in and day out, your love is not just something that we hear of, it's not just something we read about, it's something that we've experienced, something that we've seen, something that we've felt. And we rejoice in that. That the holy, powerful creator God of the universe loves us. He cares for us. He's in control of the little details of our life. How encouraging it is to know that such a great God cares about each and every one of us. And pray even this evening as we turn our attention to Psalm 36 that you would be lifted up and that we would be encouraged for the week ahead. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 36. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. O oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down and are not able to rise. As we come to Psalm 36, it's really a psalm that progresses through three stanzas. Hopefully you've noticed that the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, on Sunday nights, on Wednesdays, even if just gathered, that's not just a random grouping of thoughts, it's a progression. Each verse building on the next verse. Even the song we just sang, it's a progression of thought. Here is love. Verse 1 focuses on Christ's love as displayed on Calvary. Verse 2 focuses on God the Father's love as displayed on Calvary. And then verse 3 focuses on God's love to me specifically, sustaining me day in and day out. There's a progression of thought that is going on in that song. As you come to Psalm 36, there's a progression of thought that works its way through this psalm in three verses. The first stanza, if you will, is verses 1 to 4, and it focuses on the wicked. The second stanza is verses 5 to 7, it focuses on the Lord. 
And then the third stanza is verses 8 to 12, and it focuses on the end of the matter. Both the wicked and the righteous. What is the end? You start out in stanza 1, verses 1 to 4. Starts out with this. It's an odd phrase. In fact, as I was reading, there seems to be a lot of disagreement about what in the world this word means. It says, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. An oracle, every time it shows, majority of the times it shows up in the Bible, is used in terms of prophecy. As God speaks to a prophet, the prophet has now information that he did not have before, something that God himself has given him, that he has a message to deliver. It seems here that God has spoken to David. David has received an oracle from the Lord, and this oracle is specifically about the transgression of the wicked. It's about sinners. It's about their end. As you work your way through this psalm, you can see as David has, has meditated on this, as he's, he's worked this over, what God has said in his mind in these first four verses, and then he comes to verses 5 to 7. It's as if David kind of breaks from what God has said, and, and, and his mind has naturally gone to then who God is. God has told me about the wicked. He's told me about, about their end, about what they do, about their heart. But as focusing on the, the wicked, David cannot help but then move to who God is. The God who shows mercy, the God who's faithful, the God who's righteous, the God who judges. The God who shows precious loving kindness. And then that leads David to focus on the end of the righteous who trust in this God. And then likely back to the end of the oracle that God has given him, the end of the wicked who don't trust in that God. The hope that they don't have. In these first four verses, then he's focusing on the wicked. What God has revealed to him, this oracle that he has received. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And here it comes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The wicked have no fear of God before their eyes. This is the fundamental truth about the wicked. They do not fear God. Therefore, they are wicked. You see, the, the idea of the wicked here, as in, as in the majority of the Psalms, when David talks about the wicked, he's not talking about just general people who are naturally sinners. He's not talking about faithful people who have moral flaws and failures. He's talking about those who are given over to evil. Those who have rejected God and pushed away from everything God has said and chosen evil. They don't fear God. Therefore, they ignore God. Verse 2 describes the wicked a little bit more. He flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. I think many of us can identify with that statement. Right? He flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity, when he hates. How many of us have done wrong and then later we're confronted with our wrong and we start making kind of some, well, you don't understand the situation. Though. Yes, it was wrong for me to say that about her, but you don't understand how I felt. You don't understand what I was going through. We start to flatter ourselves, right? We start to give ourselves excuses. Well, you don't, you don't 
understand the stress I was under. That's why I blew up at him. That's what the wicked does. He flatters himself in his own eyes when he's confronted with his sin. He makes excuses. I'm not that bad. Look how bad he is. I'm not that bad. It wasn't that bad what I did. He's flattering himself. He doesn't care what God says. He cares about making himself feel good. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He doesn't speak the truth. He doesn't care about the truth. He speaks what he wants to speak to accomplish whatever purpose he has come up with in his mind or in his heart to pursue. He speaks what he wants to speak to get what he wants to get. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care what God has said. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Well, that makes sense. Proverbs 1.7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If he has no fear for God, then he has no wisdom. He's chosen not to fear the Lord, therefore he ceased to be wise. He ceased to pursue any kind of goodness. He doesn't care. He devises wickedness on his bed. This is something that consumes him. It's something that's always in the forefront of his mind. We talked about Sunday night in 2 Timothy. Paul says, Timothy, remember. Remember that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. He's conquered death. Remember that truth. Keep that on the forefront of your mind. Let that drive everything you do. The wicked is the complete opposite. He devises wickedness on his bed. It's what feels good, feels right. That's what drives him. It consumes him. As he lays on his bed at night, he's thinking about how he can do more wickedness tomorrow. He's like the addict laying there thinking about his next fix tomorrow. How can I get that needle one more time? Where can I get the money? Where can I meet my dealer? He's like the man consumed with lust who lays in his bed at night and lets his mind wander. He's like the gossip who lays in bed at night scheming how they can take the information that they have to improve their situation, to make themselves look better. It's like the angry man laying in bed at night plotting his revenge. It's what has consumed him. It's what drives, is the driving force in his life to get more, to do more. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Rather, the contrary. He loves evil. This is the wicked man. And as you read this, it can seem overwhelming. Because if this is the wicked man, I see so much of myself in there. How often have I justified my wrongs? How often have I laid in bed at night seething with anger? 
Psalm 14.3, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. You can almost picture David as he's sitting there and he's, he's contemplating on what God has said. It makes sense that then in verse 5, his thoughts turn to the mercy of God. As he comes to stanza 2, if you will, and he focuses on the Lord. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Praise God for his mercy. Because I am the worst of sinners. I see so much of myself in those first four verses. I need the reminders of verses 5 to 7. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the, high, in the heavens. It is, it is high above. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. It's impressive. I'm unable to climb to the top of it. Your judgments are like the great deep, the ocean unsearchable. I cannot get there. The attributes of God are immeasurable. As you read the first four verses, you just see the depth of sin. And you see verse 5 and 6, and you see God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, God's judgments are so much greater. Oh Lord, you preserve man and beast. God is sustainer. How precious is your loving kindness, oh God. That word loving kindness is a word that's often used in the Old Testament. It's kind of difficult to translate. There's people have taken it in different directions. The idea of it, though, at the root is faithfulness, covenant-keeping love. It's a love that is more than mere feeling. And that's good news for us. Because of God's love, simply based on how he felt towards us, that could change. That could change with my actions. That could change with what I do. But God's loving kindness is a covenant-keeping, faithful love. It's like the love of a, of a husband and wife who are not just, it's not just a feeling love, it's a covenant. They stood before an altar, before God, before a congregation, and they said, I will keep this covenant till death do us part. It's a promise that I'm making. I will love you. Yes, there's days where couples fight. Yes, there's, there's, there's times when it, you don't feel it necessarily. But it's a covenant-keeping love. It's a deeper love. It's a love that's founded on a solid foundation. It's a love that doesn't ebb and flow. So it makes sense that David, as he has contemplated the depth of the wickedness of man, and then he's contemplated the greatness of God, this man says, how precious is your loving kindness. I need that loving kindness. That is my hope. How precious it is. And therefore, 
Because your love does not come and go, because it doesn't change with your feelings, because it is a covenant-keeping, solid love, therefore the children of men put their trust in you. In all situations, under the shadow of your wings, the protective care of all who are his, like a mother hen bringing her chicks close and protecting them. So the righteous run to God, and he protects them. As you come to verses 8 to 12, then you have stanza 3, the end of the matter. Really, verses 8 to 11 talk about the righteous. And verse 12 returns to the idea of the wicked. So the righteous, those who run to God, those who trust in him, those who can say how precious is your loving kindness, who trust in him under the shadow of his wings, they, the man who trusts in the Lord, are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures, God's care. It's more than I need. It's abundant. Verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. God gives life. Really, both spiritual and physical. In your light we see light. We're going through John. That takes my mind back to John 1. It was the light. In him was the light. And the light was the life of men. The light shone in the darkness. Verse 10 is a, is a prayer. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you. Continue your loving kindness. It is precious. Continue it in your righteousness to the upright in heart. It's a prayer for God's continued care. Let not the foot of pride come against me. This is a military idea where the victorious king stands above the king that he's defeated with his foot on his throat. Let me not be defeated. Let me not come to this. Let not the foot of pride come against me. And let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. He's talked about the depth of, of wickedness of those who, who are wicked, the greatness of God, and now he's crying out for this great God to protect him from those who are wicked. Don't let them gain the advantage over me. Don't let them drive me away. Verses 8 to 11 is, is, is he's coming to the end of, of the righteous. They are satisfied. They have life. Continue. Don't let them gain the advantage. And then verse 12 comes to the end of those who are wicked. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They've been cast down and are not able to rise. This is the end of the wicked. They're cast down. They're not able to rise. Their strength is gone. 
It's not just the way of the wicked, it's the end of the wicked as well. So by way of application, take heart. Take heart because in the face of wickedness, remember their end. Remember your God and his loving kindness, his precious loving kindness. That God's love is not, is not for you, God's love for you is not based on your performance, but it's based on his promises. It's based on his son. Cling to that. Take hope in that. That his mercy, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice are never ending. You can't get to the top. You can't reach the end. You can barely scratch the surface. In the face of such great wickedness, see your greater God. Take comfort in that. Take joy in that. Rest in that. Know that your God is greater still. He's in control. And that's really the end of Psalm 36. Wicked, it's a great wickedness. But our God is a greater God. So be encouraged this evening in Psalm 36. Do I have uh, three men who are willing to pray?